I am in Lower Manhattan today. The air is cool. There is a golden glow from the morning sun. The wind is crisp, and the tourists are plentiful. I'm hopping onto the subway to meet with Danielle Eva Schwab. She's an accomplished composer, songwriter, music producer, guitarist, and singer. I've known Danielle for about 10 years, and her ability to be so multifaceted has always been a kind of inspiration for me in my own creative pursuits. As a composer, Danielle writes contemporary music intended for public performance by classical musicians. But as a songwriter, she writes dark pop songs infused with distorted electric guitars and driving rock rhythms. And did I mention she also sings them? Yeah, we have a lot to discuss. She recently finished production on a full album called Overloaded, using the artist alias Delanila, spelled D-E-L-A-N-I-L-A. Bro, that is the worst part. Definitely, go check it out and follow her work. Worst part. That shit, y'all. We, we drove that to a And clear of the closing doors, please. In our conversation, we are going to explore her songwriting process, misconceptions about creativity, the allure of having an artist persona, and writing a song inspired by Dostoevsky. We'll also listen to the new Delanila single, The Philosopher. So stick around for that. Without further ado, Danielle Eva Schwab. Sitting here with Danielle Eva Schwab, also known as Delanila, and welcome to Creative Codex. Thank you for inviting me to your place so that we can uh, hash out all these creative things that I really enjoy talking about and hopefully that you'll also enjoy. Thank you. Um, thank you for asking me to do the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So I've known you for about 10 years, I think, right? Since... Something like that. Since about NYU, I think I was I was going there for graduate stuff, and it overlapped with you going there um, also in their conservatory for like undergrad stuff. Yeah, I, right? I was there for my undergrad and taking taking classes and in the film scoring program. I remember even from then, you've always been very multifaceted as a creator of music. Is there anything you can elaborate on that in terms of, I mean, you were, I remember you were doing performances that were related to pop, more pop music stuff, but you were also still involved with concert music things. And most people that go through that kind of program or, you know, those kinds of conservatory educations, they end up kind of focusing more mm -hmm. on something in the genre of just concert music or then going a production route. And then I guess they would become more like recording engineer rapper, that kind of education. So what's up with that? <laughs> Why do I do lots of things? Why do you do lots of things? Um, there are a lot of reasons for that. 
I mean, first and foremost, I really just enjoy it. I, I feel mm. like the, all of these different areas of music kind of keep different parts of your brain occupied in ways that are satisfying. You know, if you're writing songs, you get to write lyrics, and you're and you and that's actually a way of commenting on the world. And the way that you work with musicians is different. You know, you guys, it's it's more collaborative. People improvise. It's looser. Um, the recording process is obviously totally different. In concert music. In in songwriting. In and songwriting. Then, and then on the concert side of things, you're you know you're dealing with like larger musical structures, and it's very it's almost like more mathematical and sort mm. of. Does this make sense at all? Yeah, no, of okay. course, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's always larger structures. Yeah, you're expected, you know, yeah, or encouraged even to do like a 10 minute long one section of a piece. And then, yeah. For sure. Um, they just they just keep really different sides of my brain occupied, I guess. Mm. Composing always feels a bit more sort of mathematical to me, and then songwriting always feels a, li- a little bit more free and right brain, I suppose, mm. even though obviously they all they all overlap. Um, and then beyond that, I suppose I, I li- grew up listening to a couple things. So my, my, my dad used to play a lot of, uh, you know, concert, but no one ever knows what to call this stuff. Concert music, art music, mm-hmm. contemporary classical, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Music for the concert hall. It's more modern though. Yeah. On the modern um, yeah. Well, yes and no. Uh, yeah. a lot of glass, a lot of John Cage, um, a lot of Stravinsky, you know, the greats, uh, that was always playing in my house. And then my mom was also a big uh, a big fan of bands like Pink Floyd or, you know, sort of older, like, prog, prog rock sort of bands. Yeah. Pink Floyd, Radiohead, sort of experimental, you know, bands that wrote songs that were more amb- ambitious in their forms, right. I suppose. Right, yeah, definitely. And so I, I, I guess I, I grew up with both and was always really interested in the way that different genres can... You can bring in influences to whatever genre you're working on from other genres, mm. and uh, to me, I think that's where innovative music comes from. It's mm-hmm. borrowing, borrowing stuff, and so I guess my sort of mission statement in the long term, which I'm still kind of working through in my head, but sure. you know, I want to be making pop, for lack of a better word, music that has. Uh, more of an ambition to it and like a, a a sense of experimentation and has like longer forms and mm-hmm. more yeah more ambitious narrative arcs i guess yeah and then also concert music that has uh sort of a sense of immediacy to it and my hope is that eventually like i don't think that these things are ever going to sort of combine to make an entirely new genre i right. think that forms are what they, they are they inform each other they, they inform each mm. other and and i'm kind of working towards having like a a large musical universe in which you can tell uh, that all this stuff was written by one person where there are sort of things, references in between the two and lives in different worlds but sounds like it was written by one person and also uses genre as a as a compositional tool. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah totally. Cool. Now, when you work with words in yeah. something like pop music or art pop maybe, you know, I've grown... Uh, a certain level of endearment to like this idea of art pop because you can kind of uh, straddle these two things that way so when you work with words and lyrics and you know that you're singing it do you find that it just naturally taps into more personal things and views uh, from your own mind or an emotional level emotional worlds inside of you that's a good question um 
I think it's somewhere between it's somewhere between truth and fiction. It's it's mm. it comes from what feels like a very honest place originally, mm. but it is also I am also aware of what the the sort of character that's present right, you're in all of these it a songs. Way. Yeah, that yeah, mm. the, yeah I'm, I'm aware of what the character that's singing these songs looks like. So yeah, it's all it's mostly grounded in in personal experience, but it's also played up. And it's also like it's a very sort of a, a specific part of my personality, I guess, that's sort of been amplified for the purposes of consistency, mm-hmm. I guess. So it's all me, but it's sort of a souped up version of me that's mm. not really nec- it's sort of truthful, but it's also not. Yeah. I read something, I can't remember who it was who said this. It might have been I think it was Saint Vincent who mm. was qu- who was quoting someone else who I can't remember. But <laughs> something about uh, like musicians you make music because you want to be like a superhero version of yourself. Mm, yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. so I think that's who's in the songs. Interesting, interesting, right? So the person that makes, I wish I was. Right, well, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> in real life. Or like what you said was, I think, very poignant. That it's already a part of yourself, and then you take it to a certain extreme uh, for the sake of the art or for the sake of being able to express very specific ideas <laughs> or more complicated thoughts in a very direct way. I think there's a, there's a lot of beauty to that, the idea of having a persona to inhabit. I don't know if, if you consider it as much as, as literally being able to call it a persona, though. Uh, just so that I'm not fumbling over things. Uh, what's the official way to pronounce Delanila? Delanila? You got it. Delanila? Yeah. Okay, great, great. So with Delanila, yes. do you see it uh, as a persona? Do you see it just as a project under that umbrella of a title? Is that the character? What's in your mind there? I don't see it as a persona. Um, I see it as, I guess, sort of what I said before. It's mm. uh, it's an aspect of it's it's one part of my personality that's blown up. I guess so. It's it's me. Yeah. There's nothing that's false about it. It's just there's a lot more to me than what's seen in the songs. Right. Right. So no, it's, mm. I, I wouldn't call it a persona because um, mm. it all feels very intrinsically linked right persona might be misinterpreted as like uh, that it's fake or that's uh, that there's a mask being put on but right i I see what you mean but you know there's always a long history in i guess in all arts but if we're just just talking pop music of artists taking on these these characters that Mm -hmm. maybe are exaggerations of an element of themselves i mean david bowie was so famous for like having 20 of these i mean (laughs) That, that go through certain extremes. For sure. But also, you, know, you can't play a character that doesn't doesn't resonate already with feel something, like something that's really from part you. of yeah. you. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's very true. Um, because if you're going to be spending that much time with a character, it kind of needs to be something you're already comfortable with. Right? Yeah. It has to come from a genuine place. Mm-hmm. I think that's what... Otherwise, pe- it just reads as false. And, right. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what people respond to also. They see that it's coming from a genuine place, someone like Marilyn Manson right. taking, taking on an aspect of his character to such an extreme, I think people get it. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's well, that's why, that's why people like that are so intriguing, because mm. of, of course it's something, I mean, Marilyn Manson is a great example, of course it's a character that's been, well, character, whatever we're going to call it, character, persona, branding exercise, whatever, um, that's been designed and, and honed over many album cycles. Mm. But... And so you can look at it and go like, well, what is this person really, really like? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're, you know, people can be quite different from, from what they're making, but 
they're they also can't be they're, right. they're also not at the same mm. time so and i think that's why characters like him are so intriguing because he's so he's so out there mm. so how much of it is how much of real? it is how much of it's real and how much of it's not and it's very easy to go like it's a character it's it's fake or whatever but it's it's not it comes mm, from somewhere yeah it comes you know? from something real yeah yeah i think so too I'd love to be just a fly on the wall in, in his home, like <laughs> just to see like what is what is he like in the morning when he gets up, makes himself a cup of coffee. What, what is like morning conversation? With I'm his, sure he's very normal. <laughs> he's probably, he's probably super normal. Yeah. 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 Super sedentary, except like when he goes on stage, <laughs> it's just like psh, explodes. Right. It's, it seems that's the, the kind of thing I've noticed about a lot of artists, no matter what field or medium they're in, the more extreme they are in this thing they do. And the more like subdued they are in, in like their daily life. Well, there's conversation. that. I forget. It's more stuff I can't attribute to the person that said it. But that thing about you know you should be adventurous and crazy and out there in your work life, and then very safe and very conservative in your personal life. Mm. Conservative is maybe not the right word for it, but mm. it, I know make, what you mean. Yeah, make safe, live a very safe, quiet personal life so that you can be out there mm. in your work. Hmm. That one I always, I always, I like that. Yeah, oh, that yeah. makes sense. It's a balance. Mm -hmm. hmm. So, there are some things that I, I never found out about you in terms of just your upbringing or where you come from. So, where were you born? London. London. Yes. Cool. And you lived most of your childhood there, or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I lived that? in London till I was eighteen, um, and then I picked up and came here for university. And never thought I, well, actually, really had no idea. But I, if I hadn't anticipated staying this long, hmm. um, so I pretty much went from London to New York, and now I'm back and forth from LA, continuing my, you know, westward trip around the world. <laughs> but you had been doing music in London already, like in, in high yeah, school or things um, like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I started playing. I don't really remember a time when I wasn't playing something. Oh. Uh, I, I guess my my I mean my earliest memories of music was definitely like my dad playing guitar around the house because he's a he's a guitarist. Mm. My whole family's a bunch of it's a lot of guitar players and <laughs> builders and just a lot of guitars. Um, yeah, I mean I I guess I when I was in school, I I did all of the the standard like recorders and bits and bobs that you do as, sure. a, as a kid but I was super into it so I played all of the oh, really? played, like all the different size of sizes of recorders <laughs> yeah and then um, and then my dad tried to teach me guitar when I was seven and it didn't stick hmm. uh, and then I left it for a while and then I, I really really discovered music for myself as opposed to something that I was mm. being was being taught in school when I was about 13 or 14 and I started listening to rock music and and I was like, what the, what the hell is this? I have to, I have to make it. Um, and yeah, kind of went from there. So I, yeah, I grew up playing in, well, I played in a lot of bands in high school. So rock bands. I also studied jazz. I don't, I don't claim to be a, a jazz guitarist, but sure. I, I can fake it well enough that real jazz musicians, musicians won't be convinced, but, right. but amateurs will be. So. Right, right. Just a lot of seven chords. <laughs> Maybe circle of fifths occasionally. <laughs> Minor majors, yeah. <laughs> um, right. So you started on guitar? Yeah. Uh -huh. um, yeah, and then I, when I got to university, I 
I thought I wanted to study guitar. Like I, I originally oh. just wanted to be a performance a, guitar performance. Yeah, mm. um, I thought I wanted to do the session guitar player thing, which I did a little oh. bit of when I got out of school, but that's that was later. Yeah, but I, I thought that was what I wanted to do, really? and then I um, actually, well, I was always I was always interested in composing, but I thought it would be a thing I did further down the line, and mm. I thought I wanted to do the guitar. I thought I wanted to study guitar and then do the session player thing and then um, would compose later. Hmm. I don't know, I was like 17, no one knows what they're... Right. No one has like a <laughs> I wanted to be a pro wrestler when I was a teenager, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, before that I wanted to be a paleontologist, so that's Ooh, a whole other thing. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. There's still time. There's yeah, still time. Yeah, right? Um, when you're retired. Yeah. <laughs> or I could write songs about paleontology. Ah, ah, another record. Side project. Another <laughs> side project on your to-do list. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I, so I was practicing a lot when I got to university and actually wound up with ten, some kind of repetitive stress, tendonitis, oh, some no. there, and took time off from playing and realized I didn't really miss it that much mm. and, uh, and then decided to study composition and loved it more than yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, I love playing guitar, but it's always... Guitar has always been uh, a vehicle for writing, I yeah, guess. So yeah. in hindsight, I don't know why I didn't just go to study composition. Mm. Had you been writing songs, like, yeah, from kind I, of the start? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. I wrote songs in high school. Uh, I came to concert writing or film scoring, whatever, composing, anything that involves... I've known how to read music since I was a kid, but uh, anything that you know, resembles concert concert writing or film scoring or anything like that I came to when I was at university hmm. um, so I think I probably wrote my fa my first concert in quotes uh, piece when I was 19 I think maybe 20 I'm not sure mm -hmm. uh, and it turned out that I was decent at it and here we are here having we are. this conversation <laughs> yeah it's led you to this very moment so uh, <laughs> from from those Early years, because uh, it's always fun talking about early years. It's nostalgic. There's, sure. there's, there's also elements of truth, and you see something blossoming out to the present day. So, in those early years, when you were first learning guitar and, and maybe dabbling in composing, were there any bands or artists or composers that like really clicked with you that you felt it was like something that made you passionate about what you wanted to do? When I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from the early times. Um. I can't really remember anything. I can't remember the stuff that first got me into guitar, but I remember it was when I got into Pink Floyd a bit later mm. where I was just like, what is, what, this is, I didn't know that music could do this. And uh, this is, uh, this is, I want, I, I want to do you know, I want in on this, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess before that it was, it was kind of whatever was, whatever was playing in my house and whatever was popular I was I was always an alternative kid rather than a I wasn't listening to I don't know what was even what was what was even on the I can't remember what was on the radio like around that time that we were in high school. I mean I, I think I'll turn like Nelly Furtado or something. Right, I don't know. Right, I wasn't right. I wasn't on that side of things. Hip hop I was, infused. I was pop very music, much yeah. I was very much on the like Tool and Corn and and Soundgarden, I don't know, those, those yeah, sorts of bands, yeah. Stone Temple Pilots. The, the um, 90s were like the golden age of alternative yeah, yeah. music, so mm -hmm. it was like, yeah. Yeah, so it was very much like guitar music that was mostly, the target demographic for which was probably like 14-year-old boys, but for some reason I was into it. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that was, what, that was what 
got me into guitar and made me want to play music, but I don't look back at any of that stuff that I was listening to pre-Pink Floyd and Radiohead and think that was hugely influential. Oh, okay. It was just kind of like that was, oh, what, was, yeah. that was what was there. Well, yeah. Some of that's different, but... Sure. Uh, notable exceptions, I sure. should say. Um, but yeah, I think it was when I when I heard Pink Floyd, which my mum used to have playing around the house a lot, where I, I just thought... Like, what is it just goes on and on and on yeah, and yeah. the songwriting is so good but the forms are so strange they're fluid and yeah. and it's just this like enveloping wonderful warm beautiful sound can you think of like goes. Yeah. can you think of like one or two pink floyd songs that you remember like listening to and being like what what well, how is this yeah a few um i mean i think it's so there's oh my god so Echoes is that super long one. Uh-huh. I love that. Uh, also, Us and Them was the point where hmm. that one, that song just says so much lyrically, and I wish there was more music like it because it's it's a, just a beautifully written song, but it's also a very profound statement mm. on people and politics and power and all that kind of yeah. neatly tied up into a, a very, uh, I would say, it's not it's not like an economical song, song at all, but... Just it's a, it's a simple message. It's the lyrics are simple, but they say a lot. And then there's yeah. this other one that has this guitar solo in it that I still. It's on um, the division bell. Oh randomly. no, kidding! Huh. I mean, I've, I can't remember. High hopes. That's what High it's called. High hopes. Okay. And I, the guitar solo on that just like still makes me. It still just makes me cry uh, whenever I listen oh, to it. So nice. it's probably all of that. But I mean, really, it's it was more just the sort of the overarching grandeur of the mm. whole thing, and the fact that you could have. These like these winding musical roads, peppered with this just transcendently good guitar playing and yeah. the lyrics that also really and great meant lyrics, something. yeah, fantastic lyrical were, writing, yeah, yeah, that lyrics that were sort of really emotionally reso- resonant, but also culturally and politically relevant. Yeah, relevant enough that yeah. it stayed popular and mm-hmm. interesting for generations throughout, yeah. you know, up until today. Yeah, the whole the whole archetypal symbol of the wall it, it kind of they really hit on something there that throughout every decade a new generation has like tacked on a different meaning to it i mean now you could probably tack on the idea of like um the the wall of separation between people like as technology starts to take mm-hmm. over and, and there's a lot still you can do with it but there's yeah yeah well that's the great thing about lyrics like that they're sort of they're specific enough that you can find you know what people are saying but they're open enough that they can be repurposed for different times yeah, you know, different yeah. life experiences yeah there's, there's one solo that I remember always just freaked me out so much because it was so good um, that one uh, from Shine On You Crazy Diamond in the beginning after just like that long ambient wash of sound and then he comes in with like that bend yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I'm just like oh my also, god also Bike that was another one that oh, I really? loved you know that one right <laughs> It's it's pre. It was with Sid Barrett. Right, I was gonna say it's probably Sid Barrett. Yeah, I, it I just, do remember. It sounds like Sid the Barrett. unraveling of a human, which is kind of what it was. Ooh, I guess. Happened, yeah. And it's just it's like the most English and abs- it's it's English. It's absurd and funny and also very sad and like uncomfortable but euphoric at the same time uh. and just so quint so intri- so English. <laughs> <laughs> in that way so English yeah wow it captures the time period probably too yeah 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 
So then, when you were in college, let's say, when you were doing conservatory stuff, can you think of some either artists, bands, or composers that really clicked with you? Yeah,、um, I think my gateway drug to writing contemporary classical concert art music for the concert hall, whatever we're calling it, I no one knows what to call it. No、um, one knows. Yeah, <laughs>、uh, it was Steve Reich and Arvo Pärt, and then、mm. later,、oh, Arvo Pärt, yes. yeah, yeah.、Oh, um, And Stravinsky, but Stravinsky,、uh, I had been a. I never. I feel really weird saying like a fan of classical composers. It just doesn't. It doesn't work in the same way.、Mm, just, an enthusiast. An, enth- an an enjoyer. I don't know. That's <laughs> not even a word. I don't think.、Mm. Um, whatever. I liked Stravinsky's music for、yeah. a long time, but it was it was really when I discovered the minimalists or and post minimalists. Yeah.、Uh, that I had another. Like what is this? And I yes, another eye-opening moment,、yeah. moment. Mm. where you, you could probably see those separate parts of, of the musical divide kind of crossing into one another、mm-hmm. between the pop and the classical. Yeah, and it working. Yep. And、um, that style also just being fantastic for film. Like it looks. Yeah. It changed what you could do with film scores for dec for until now. You know. As just like this is the specific sound that you can do for the entire movie, or you could go into this sound for the entire movie, and it's like、mm-hmm. really interesting、mm-hmm. stylistic ideas that both are equally valid in every film. Like、yeah. every film, you could equally score as a minimalist style music film, or as just like a more traditional orchestral style, or I mean all the other variations too. But it's, it's that that really opened my mind when I was、uh, studying film scoring was that. You can create equally valid statements artistically with the same material of a film, and really, the the only thing that's the deciding factor is the director and producer about which direction it should go, because otherwise, it's equally valid.、Mm-hmm. And you could make the most brilliant, beautiful, minimalist score that audiences will love and people will perform forever and ever. But if the director's like, "Oh no, I just want electronic music." And then it's like, oh, okay, and it's just thrown out. <laughs> it's yeah, so weird. For sure, for sure. Well, f- yeah, film is such a funny one too, because I mean, I'm sure you had this experience in the scoring program when everyone's, you know, you have different people who are taking on the same scene. I wasn't really in the film department at NYU, but when I went through the Sundance Labs, it was like, oh yes, right, six of us who were each scoring these.、Uh, Like exercises that we would be doing, and then a, eventually a collaboration with the director who came through there as well,、mm. and、um, we were all, for the most part, with the exception of the, the part where we were working with the directors,、uh, we were all scoring the same scenes. So we just、right. kind of disappear to our room and then like show up a couple days later and screen things. And it was just, just you're talking about like different. There's no right answer for any of this, and it、mm-hmm. was just so. It was so wild to see, because、uh, the six of us were very different. How How vastly different people's interpretations were of the, the, think the scenes that we were scoring, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but how everything was everything worked and was totally viable,、right. and yeah, just you. I mean, that's the the sort of the beautiful and frustrating thing about making art or doing anything creative in general. There are no, no right and wrong answers. So there's definitely wrong answers.、Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. I think there's more wrong answers than right answers, it's but it's hard to find the right, right. answer sometimes. So, <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll you win. I'll,、uh, I'll, I'll I've, I only know this because I've taught like、uh, introduction to film music, like guest one class or something in SVA and stuff. And I'll do like a scene from No Country for Old Men, 
and I'll put like three decent things and then people vote on it. And then I'll put one with like the Benny Hill theme uh, with like the crazy saxophone and stuff. And it's clearly not going to work, <laughs> but it's, it's a fun one to consider. Okay. So basically once you've reached like a, attained a basic level of competency and taste, <laughs> there are no right and wrong answers, but right. before that, there are a lot of wrong answers. Right, right, right. Okay, I'm glad we yes. solved this problem. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And then in that strange gray area of no right and wrong answers, it ends up just being producer-director. Their taste, yeah. basically, informs the final decision. I mean, yeah. unless they, they screen it and then yeah, the audience... They, 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 always, they always know. Like, if you're working with, with really good people, like, like, taste is obviously part of it. Mm-hmm. But they have an idea that you can't yeah. see. Well. Yeah, that's true. There's so, a larger vision yeah. in mind for a film that's uh, going to exist in a genre that they know and have worked in for years, maybe their entire lifetime. And so they know what's supposed to fit in that genre. And if, if you're coming in as a composer that's less familiar with that specific genre or things like that, there's a lot and that's informing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. That's true. So let's talk about Delanila. Okay. We want to just cover the basic ground of what is Delanila? What is this project? Sure. Um, it's a band slash studio project that's the umbrella for my songwriting, I guess. Mm. Stuff that has lyrics and guitars on it, as opposed mm. to mostly no lyrics and mostly not guitars. So at some point in time, in recent years, you started to feel kind of an itch to move toward that those kinds of... Uh, musical expressions? No, um, I I've always done both simultaneously. I think my work as a composer started to get some traction before my songwriting did, but it's not a it's not a thing I came to later. It's like yeah. I've, I've, I've done both You've since done I both. was a teenager. Mm. Um, it's just that for whatever reason I was busier with composing projects right after I got out of uh, college. So no, it's sort of like the culmination of many years of work that's been going on quietly behind the scenes. Although, I mean, mm. I've, I've kicked around with it a lot. And yeah, it took, for whatever reason, it took a while to come together, but it's been something that's been worked on for a long time. Right, well, that's, yeah. On. So there's a full album already uh, that's yeah. been finished in it's production? Yeah, it's done. I could play it to you right now. I think <laughs> I may have played it to you. I can't remember. Not the full one. I haven't, not the full one. Um, yeah, it's been finished for a while. Pro- it's probably been sitting on my hard drive for like a year and, no, year and a half at no. this point. No, fully mixed? <laughs> yeah, mixed and no. mastered. What? Yeah. It takes a while to get all of the oh machinery God. in place yeah. to uh, release it and do all of the visuals and just like manage the whole oh, thing. Oh, and, yeah, right, yeah. right. To, to schedule the whole release of each single yes. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people don't know how, how, how much of a bitch it is to produce an entire album. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a lot. Um, and then after you finish the thing, it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do with this now? Mm. Like, am I just going to chuck it up on the internet or am I going to actually like try and put a release plan together? Mm. Am I going to find people to work with on it? Am I going to bother sending it around to labels, which I did, and then I'm not doing anymore? Mm. Uh, I've had I've had a couple of arrangements that just wound up being a pain in the ass, so I'm not, mm. not going that route now. And... Yeah, it takes a long time. It takes a long time to get the machinery in place. And also, this one has been particularly time-consuming just because, like, learning to... I've shot performance videos before, but doing, like, larger music video projects has been newer. And so 
it's taken him it's taken a minute to find like good collaborators and you know sort of realize these things to the right the, the level that I would like them to be yeah yeah the, so. the songs hold certain artistic merit and they they, they deserve the respect Thank and you. time that's yeah that's all to them well, yeah that was kind of what it felt like like I didn't want to I'd spent I spent such a long time working on this project just the music for the rec- for the record uh that I didn't want to like tank out very close to the end of no, the No, right, you have to marathon. do right by them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to get to the end of the marathon and be like, I think I'm just going to just sit down. Just put it on SoundCloud. And <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to, like, sit down a few feet from the finish line, like, I'm good, you know? Right, right, yeah, this has so, to be followed through. No, that's very respectable yeah. because it take that takes another layer of patience and then planning and, and all that stuff. But, oh, God, but yeah, sorry it, my life. It yeah. sees it through in, in a proper way. Yeah. In a proper way. And I learned to edit. I now know how to edit. That's so, so cool, right? So that, that's about the, uh, the experience with the music video, right? That does for the first song? Yeah. Mm. Um, so there were other editors on it as well, but uh, I was very involved, and a lot of the editing in it is mine. Not mm. all of it, but like a, a, I'd say the majority of it. So yeah, if we're going to talk about songs, this would be a good segue into that. That first release, it was Time Slips Away, mm-hmm. right? Which is available on all streaming <laughs> platforms and also a beautiful music video available Thank on you. YouTube. So what happened there? How did that come about? What's, uh, and you feel free to talk about either just the music video or the song itself, the origin of the idea of the song? Sure. Um, the song is about wasting time on the internet. You sit down at your computer, you're doing some work, you get distracted, you spend a lot of time looking up I don't know, garbage on Wikipedia that you don't even need to know about. Um, and then and then notice that the time has disappeared, I guess. But uh, that song and most of the other songs that were on the record were written during a time in life where I was really working a lot. And I mean, you know this being a composer as well. Like When you're busy, you're spending a lot of time by yourself, sitting mm-hmm. in a room. Isolation, yeah. yeah. And I find like the whole... The lifestyle that we lead is strange because you you work on your own, but you're also like connected to everyone that you've ever known and sort of interacting with each other's avatars all the time. And I found that that just that the whole the whole thing is sort of jarring and strange and unnatural. And I don't know. I wasn't very. I don't think I was terribly happy at that point mm. just because I was I was working so hard and on my own all the time and uh, wasting a lot of time on social media. I guess. Right. Right. So that's where the song came from. And then the video, it's a girl who's uh, in her apartment feeling isolated for all of the many reasons that people feel isolated in our strange and modern world, who's sort of imagining this dream world world where she feels a little bit more free. Mm -hmm. And she's encountering people from her past, you know, missed connections, people that she's lost touch with or people that she wishes that she, you know, friendship she wishes she'd pursued connections that had lapsed that she's imagining and it's sort of this this contrast between reality and the the dream world and so i worked with a really wonderful director charlie mysack on it mm-hmm. um and we knew that we wanted to work with a dancer just because i i don't know i've become really interested in, in just in dance over the past few years i think there's something so there's something so pure about an art form in which you don't need anything mm-hmm. to say something really profound. Like, you know, musicians, we need, we need tools, we need instruments, we need computers and, and microphones and all that kind of stuff. And it's something that's kind of external mm-hmm. to you. 
same thing for painters like you have a you have a paintbrush and you have an easel or whatever but dancers literally just get up and they and they just move around right. and somehow that like makes people feel very deep things yeah things can be is, expressed which is amazing right? i think it it's is. an incredible it art is. form it's, it really is um yeah i just the the song it's an emotionally intense one and I really like the idea of working with a dancer who would be able to just naturally express that. Yeah. Um, and so Charlie found this amazing uh, and super accomplished dancer, uh, Leal Zalinska, who dances with a lot of uh, modern companies in New York and also does a lot of commercial work and all kinds of stuff. And she, and she was just perfect for it. Mm. I, th- I think she's such a, she's such a beautiful screen presence. She's mm. like, she's got this kind of like, tough but still feminine yeah there's a, there's a vulnerability to yeah. her yeah. yeah yeah so she was she was a blast to work with hmm. um, and she she choreographed some of it and then some of it was sort of assembled retroactively hmm. in the edit and yeah what else what else do you want to know <laughs> right no yeah it's, it's a yeah. well, just to riff off of what you're saying with the, the dance stuff yeah I've worked with a dancer before a few times over time occasionally paths cross with someone who does like dance choreography or something like that but more overtly I worked with one for a song I was working on and yeah it blew my mind how expressive they can just be when it's when it's mm-hmm. a dancer who's used to improvising and yeah it was just fascinating to watch like it unfolds yeah, and I'm and like you're just filming it and you're like they can do that yeah <laughs> like oh wow oh and then I'm watching it back later I also was was editing that as well and then you end up appreciating it even more as you're editing it because now you're spending all this time just staring at this person that you kind of loosely knew and you're seeing their art form and you feel like you're really the only person who's truly appreciating it because you have to stare at it you know over hours because <laughs> you're editing it and then you, you end up like really like enjoying all these nuances they've done and uh yeah so then there's the next song that came out yes not too long ago, right? The uh, turning oh, on the turning TV? On TV. Yeah, it was a couple of months back. And you have some badass guitar on there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Which you play? Yes. Just that's to be me. super clear, like that's you're me. An, yeah. an amazing guitarist. Thank you. Yeah, there's like a moment I, I jotted it down at a minute and twenty seconds where that like really killer hook comes in. I don't know which one that is. Um, it's like a band. Oh yeah, that was a, that was that's the demo. That I just never replaced. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, so like when you were first jotting down the song, yeah, sketching yeah, yeah. It out. That's like uh, that's that's like a shitty guitar rig sound. That really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad that I'm I'm glad that one pops out. Hey, sometimes it just it works, right? Yep. Yeah. Basic setting and it works. not to knock not to knock guitar rig, uh, but yeah, it was one. I think we we tried to we thought about replacing it with like guitars that were actually tracked properly like with amps and, and mm-hmm. everything then it was just like eh, it's kind of is what it is so it works it's right it's gonna stay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, it's something there's, there's a magic to just a decent filter where like you get like the sound just um sometimes the shitty identity. stuff is not shitty right yeah yeah when it's deliberate mm-hmm. yeah with tracking guitars through the process of working on this album have you has, has a lot of elements of it been revealed to you that you weren't aware of or that you find that you enjoy a lot? Oh, for sure. I mean, I was super lucky on this record because I got to work with uh, David Bottrell, who's a multiple Grammy-winning musical genius who's uh, worked with just some of the, in my opinion, some of the best artists of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he 
just gets sick guitar sounds. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I when I when I sought him out, it was that was actually one of the reasons I wanted to work with him because I was just like, you know, to come back to guitar rig for a second, I was like, I don't want to I don't want a pop record that sounds as though it is doing its best impression of a rock record that right. has like shitty guitar rig guitar sounds. Sure, even sure. though there are some shitty guitar rig guitar sounds that are not so shitty. Not so shitty. Not so. Sh- they're fine. Um, but I wanted I wanted real guitars yeah. and. Uh, David just, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I love uh, the effect that when I first started to discover these kinds of techniques, just taking an amp, recording it close, recording it, you know, five to ten feet away, also having a direct input, and then just putting the three together and just balancing mm-hmm. the EQ properly, and boom, you got like this so much more of a crisp and rich sound yep. than just one of those signals. It's really interesting. Yeah. Well, what we had for a lot of these, and I, I mean, I can't remember which song is which, so yeah. that, that's something that he would know more than me. But um, yeah, for a lot of these, it was a combination of like actually a guitar run through a couple of amps and then also direct, mm. and then sometimes also blended with stuff from the demo. So mm. it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of messing with stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's really what a lot of it is. Yeah. It's a very discerning messing about. Yeah, he's stuff. also, he's, uh, it's fun. He's so good with guitarists' pedals that mm. you'll sort of have things set up. And for, so for both for me and also for uh, the other guitar player on the record, Adam Agati, who's amazing too. Well, he's more amazing. He's more amazing, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> um, not to knock me, but like Adam's really right, right, right. <laughs> Adam is really something. So yeah, like you think that you have all of your pedals set up in a way that sounds good mm-hmm. and then david just sort of like disappears down onto the floor for five <laughs> seconds and you're like oh shit i didn't know i could sound this good oh. <laughs> yeah um and he has lots of lots of tricks but it's from years of i mean he's a rock producer so he, sure he's he's got like a few decades of experience on, yeah uh, on us right very familiar with yeah messing about in a productive way yes <laughs> That's cool. That's, I mean, uh, that's, that's a great person just to have as a second set of ears and uh, yeah. someone to bounce ideas off yeah. of. When He's also just one of my favorite people. So that's wonderful. Yeah, he's a good dude. So with turning on the TV, what happened behind that one? How did that one come about? Um, Similar kind of <laughs> approach or mentality? The whole record's kind of about the same stuff. Yeah. It's like, it's a time when I was working a lot and spending a lot of time by myself and distracting myself from not feeling great about that with a lot of screens so computers tvs i don't know it's all the same thing it's just kind of like these digital devices that are a means of distraction from deeper existential truths i suppose that we don't necessarily want to confront yeah i mean would you would you say that delanila is a way to explore that world those ideas or is it just this this album is colored first by that kind of exploration i haven't so i mean that question is essentially like is the next one going to be about tvs and screens as well uh <laughs> not what i said no but, but kind fair of enough. um i i don't know yet uh yeah. it's i do st- i spend a lot of time thinking about technology and the way that it affects people's social interactions and like the ramifications that it has on our emotional lives as well sure. so I don't know if I'm going to write another project another record that follows exactly that theme but it's kind of like just to you sound like a computer for a second it's like it's in it's in my basic operating system yeah. and language so I'm sure it'll 
I'm sure it'll inform it if it's not necessarily about that. I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to spend the next, like, however many years I do this making computer records. I hear you, I but, hear you. Uh, it's, it's in there. Yeah. But it's also, it's hard, it's, it's impossible for it not to be. Like, if you're making a record about the way people interact with one another now, which is kind of like ultimately what all songwriting is, most songwriting is really mm. about, you can't escape you can't escape computers and technology. No, you can't. Like, you can't, they're right. Like, they're sort of the things that stand in between us now. Well, yeah, yeah, unless you're writing something that's a period piece in the medium you work in. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, good, a- relevant art is a reflection of the time period it's mm-hmm. written in. And there's, there's a great saying, I don't remember the exact way it's said, and it maybe was a game of telephone where three different people said it. So <laughs> by the time it gets to me, it's different. But <laughs> the idea being that uh, one of the great benefits of, of having a rich art, artistic community and, and artists in a country is that the artists are kind of on the fringe of the, the thoughts and, and the society. And as things are evolving, artists can comment on things other people don't see that are happening. And they can make um, a commentary on the society or commentary on the technology or see the emotional significance of certain things in ways that people are blind to. So in that sense... Uh, there's, there's a great value in, in being a, a mirror or a reflection of, oh, this is kind of screwed up. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's yes to all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Enthusiastically. And also yes to, uh, to, there's a guitar solo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, always yes to guitar solos. Uh, yes, yes to guitar solos. That's it. I think they're, <laughs> I think they're coming back. They're making a comeback. I mean, they never really went away in my mind. So. Mm, right, right, right. But it's been a good but, thirty years yeah, since. Yeah, as like... far as as far as the normal, the rest of the world is concerned, yes. they went away. But for me, they never did. Yeah, the '90s was like the era of the guitar solo bridge, and then people stopped it. And I think it's it's time. I think so. <laughs> so, in terms of, we talked about you know influences that you felt were significant to you when you were starting as maybe as a teenager earlier than in college what about now are are there any composers bands artists that you feel you're really clicking with what they're doing what they're about yeah they're mostly in film strangely uh yeah yeah, um i really like uh well liked sadly what johan johansson was doing Mm. uh ben frost is another one who i think Mm. is doing really really great stuff um on the songwriting front, I really like the record that Sharon Van Etten put out recently. Mm. I just think it's, I really like the lyrics. Mm. Um, other stuff that's, that I've heard. Um, I think everything that Hildur is doing is great. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know, I'm sorry, that's probably, <laughs> probably a mess. Um, yeah, I think, there's, I think there's great stuff going on in film. Um, Interesting. I think it's where... I mean, I, for whatever reason, I tend to be drawn to music that's like a little darker and a bit more aggressive. And there's not, there's not that much of that going on in, in pop. Mm, for what, Chelsea Wolfe. Uh, yeah. Very interesting. I don't character. know. She's she's one who's been on my list for a while, and I've I've poked around in Spotify, but couldn't really tell you anything. I think Zola Jesus is doing good stuff too. Mm. I was actually just checking out the the new Grimes record before oh, you cool. showed up, which I think is good. I think she's anytime there's someone who's doing something that's a little eccentric and oh yeah, different and stays true to that. I'm I'm kind of on board with. 
Um, yeah, but they're really interesting. I think the really interesting stuff is going on in film, mm. mostly. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, there's a bit more... I think it's really... It's becoming increasingly difficult for artists who are doing their own artist projects. Um, people who are trying to make a living off of selling records and touring and everything just because of the way that radio works or, like, you know, promotion on Spotify or anything. It's It's very... The kinds of things that will be successful on these platforms and will cater to a mass audience in a way that will allow it to sustain itself in the business. It's all like hip hop beat driven stuff that's pretty safe in my book. Right, right. And, and when, think, it, when it first started, like when yeah. Lana Del Rey's Born to Die to Me first came out and it was hip hop beats with like uh, orchestral strings. Mm -hmm. It like blew my mind, and now everything is just hip hop beats yeah. with orchestral strings. And I'm like, I do like her. Okay. I like her last mm -hmm. record. Mm, all the reason, yeah, I think mm. she's a great lyricist. Mm. But yeah, it's it's becoming just because of the way the way the industry is now. It's really hard for stuff that's a little different to get traction and and endure and be like financially sustainable. Yeah. But when you're attached to a film project, a lot of the time those people are directors are just like looking for cool sounds. That's true, right? And, right. Um, and also because movies are. It's it's actually kind of ironic. It's like what sells in the pop world is usually pretty bubblegum, even if it's on the edgier side of things. Like mm -hmm. I don't, I like Billie Eilish. I don't think it's as she's not that dark, really. Mm -hmm. um, and what's what does well in film? You have these like huge blockbuster, super dark things with stuff exploding or whatever. It's just it's that lends itself well to a a, a darker sound. I think yeah. in a way that doesn't yeah no uh, you had mentioned Johan Johansson yeah what would you say uh, that he was doing in terms of his music that you would say uh, clicked with you or that was innovative in some way that stuck out a whole bunch of stuff mm -hmm. um, so I mean just to start off with he's writing well he was writing music that's it's it's both complex just highly skilled music that's also really has so much emotional depth to it mm. and really speaks to people on a very a very deep sort of almost primal level mm. so that um also i think what he just the, the blending of acoustic instruments with electronic sounds i think he found a way to synthesize that in a that, that's very very new and well at the time less new now because everyone's trying to rip it off but mm to varying degrees of success. Um, sing the way he did it was singular and also just very successful. And also, I think just like purely from the, the just a composer standpoint, like the notes that are on the page, quite aside from the production or um, you know s sound design choices or anything like that, his music is deceptively simple. Mm -hmm. It's It looks simple on the page. Right, There's not right. much to it. But... It's, it is actually a lot more complex than it seems in some instances. And um, clarity and simplicity is something that mm. I aspire to in my own work. And I think that the way he did it is sort of mystifying and magnificent mm. and mysterious and mm. a whole bunch of other words right. with them that I seem to be naming. Um, Would there be something yeah. that, uh, for someone who's not as familiar with his work... Uh, an album or a score you'd recommend them to check out? Yeah, um, IBM 1401, a user's manual. 
IBM. Yeah, IBM 1401, a user's 1401, manual. A it's user's the solo manual. record that he did oh. uh, before he... Actually, I don't, know, I don't know where it was in the timeline of his huh. discography, but a solo record that he did, which is... It's, it's, it's sort of like weird and techy and has a lot of spoken computerized voices huh. and just these transcendent soaring strings, and it's, it's beautiful. So I'd say that... Everyone loves the Sicario score. Mm. I think that's another thing that I really admire about him, actually. Like, he has a... I was talking earlier about wanting to have a, just a, a voice that comes through regardless of what style you're working in. Yeah. He he did something different for every single one of his scores, and it still sounds like him. Mm. Uh, but you can do... He could do Sicario and Theory of Everything, and then, you know, the, the, the mother score that went in the trash that I was lucky to work on. Um, mm. Or... Or these solo projects that he did, or they just—they all have a very different flavor to them, but they still sound like him. And I think that's—you can pin, It's very easy to pigeonhole yourself and go into a project thinking I'm going to do something that I know works because I've done it before mm. and I know it'll be fine. And like maybe there's not—I don't have any reason to push myself, so I'm not going to. Um, and he—he he did something. He was just always moving forward and always doing something different, and it was. Well, every project that he did was successful creatively, in my opinion, and I think most people's opinion. Mm. And it was always different. And just I think that, yeah, once you get out of once you get out of music school, no one is really going to push you to keep trying to expand your voice and develop it and go down new creative avenues. Like you have to do that for yourself. Yeah, totally. And um, and he 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 did, and they're all great, and they're all different. And I just think that's I think that's remarkable and admirable and. That's really a shame that we don't get any more scores. Yeah, yeah. Oh, kitty cat. Kitty cat <laughs> sighting. Yeah. Hello. So, what I've always been interested in with any artist or creative mind is the process that they go through when creating anything. So, are there any general things that you say always happen if you're working on a song, if we're just going to talk songwriting for a second? Uh, yeah, I usually get stuck at some point and wind up going to an art museum. <laughs> oh, <laughs> to that's, related, that's yeah. related to one of my conversation starters, I didn't say, which was... Oh, interesting. Which was, uh, what's a place you could go to daily and not be bored of going to? Art museums. Yes, yeah. me too. Yeah, whenever I get... And this, I'm sure this is like not the kind of answer to that question that you're looking for, so I'll give you a proper answer in a yeah. second, but... Um, yeah, whenever I get stuck on something, which happens a lot, I go to an art museum. And oh. I think there's something about it being like an open, white, ideally tranquil, mm. mostly not in New York mm. uh, space. So you can kind of clear your head a little bit, but you're also still around uh, things that are beautiful and creative and inspiring, but they're not music. So mm -hmm. it's sort of always... It always jogs my imagination, um, and I found it inspiring. And there's also something about, like, like oftentimes I'll listen to, you know, first and foremost I will be looking at the art, but I'll mm. also walk around in a museum and often listen to stuff that I'm working on just to kind of hear it in a oh, different context. Oh, interesting. Oh, so you'll be listening that, to music. Sometimes. That might be your own that you're working yeah. on as you're watching the art. That's not pretty al cool. Not always. Mostly yeah. I just go and look at art and try yeah. and not think about it, but sometimes i found that that helps. Mm. Just being in a different space sort of helps you visualize different ways that whatever you're working on could go just I don't know getting out of your 
routine and right. going and being in a different space sometimes just frees your head up a bit. Totally. Yeah, that really helps. The movement yeah. is an aspect of that. I think mm -hmm. the, when the body moves, the mind moves. Basically. Yes. Yeah. Well, literally, because it, you know, is attached. So. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm <laughs> yes, I meant metaphysically also. I know you did. <laughs> that was why I made the obvious joke. But, um, so things that happen every time I write a song. Uh, <laughs> that's honestly probably the only, the only thing that's consistent. I don't know. It's different every time. It like, is, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, I think when you're doing it right, it's different. Like each song is unique mm -hmm. in, the, in the process as well. Um, things that happen every time. I usually at some point get frustrated and think that like this sucks and I'm never yes. going to finish it. And this I this it is and, shit moment. Yeah, yeah, there's that. Yes. Um, whether or not it is at the end is right. up, up to other people to, usually it's not, <laughs> to decide. But, um, uh, so there's that. I don't, I'm having a hard time answering this question because it's really different every time and I don't is, know what yeah. the consistent, the consistent, the consistency are. is that it's unique each time. Yeah, there you go. Um, sometimes it starts from words. Sometimes it starts from a melody. Yeah. Lyrics are always the last thing to get finished because I spend a long time mm. obsessing over them. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean... I think like all writers say, all songwriters say this, but sometimes you get melody and lyrics and chords all at once. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just write the whole thing in five minutes and there you are. Other times, I, you know, I've got songs that I started six, seven years ago and mm -hmm. then just, just figured out what to do with now. They were just uh. sort of sketches that were kicking around and then I finished them later. Usually I'm, I'm quite a slow songwriter, but I think that's because I'm trying to do stuff that's a little bit more meandering by definition, so it takes a minute for that to unfold sometimes right. just because they're longer and a bit Well, when longer. you're approaching it right as a composer, yeah, composer's they're, mind. Yeah, songs written by a composer, exactly. Yeah, so you're thinking of a lot of moving pieces mm -hmm. in addition to the lyrics and the melody. Yeah. Right? So somebody who's just like songwriter, songwriter, maybe they just strum some chords on the guitar with the right words and a vocal, and they could feel like the song is complete, but yeah. if you approach it and trying to see the entire uh, body, right? The animal of the song. Yeah. Takes a lot longer. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I guess the consistencies are, I'm slow, I will hate it at some point, and then yes. stop hating it, hopefully, <laughs> by the end. Uh, and I will go to an art museum. <laughs> and you will go to an art museum. <laughs> yeah, and I will put it off and go to an art museum. So those are the, uh, those are the consistencies. Other than that, I don't know. Sometimes it's quick. Well, it's not mostly it's not quick. There are a few that are quick and fast, but yes. even with the fast ones, you know, I don't, people might write songs quickly, but I don't buy this. Like I just wrote this in five in minutes. Afternoon. And then it was yeah. done. Cause you have, yeah. you have to go and refine the production and you know, it takes, it takes a long time to kind of get mm. these things. Even if you've got the, the bones of the, the melody and the lyrics and the chords, uh, It'll get refined just throughout the production mm -hmm. process. Yeah, there's a lot of, I think, misconceptions with some artists that you might hear saying something like, oh, I wrote this in an afternoon, which they didn't write, like we're saying, all the instruments in an afternoon, yeah, yeah. right? The, they, bone, the skeleton. Right. Or just the vocal melody and the lyrics, which I mean, those are a pretty important part in yeah. any song. But at the same time, even just even that, writing something in an afternoon or in a few hours... It's usually the buildup of like a few months, maybe of like an incubation of some kind of ideas that are already kind of kicking around and weren't being fully explored yet. And then there's that like one little moment where something sets it off 
and now those things from the unconscious they kind of come to the forefront and it kind of feels like just like these light bulbs just like going off as, as you're working on it um, that might feel like it's happening immediately but in, in actuality something has been evolving and like incubating in you for a while I'm nodding just for anyone who's <laughs> listening but can't see that's my experience anyway because yeah like I'm saying like you're saying some songs they take like yeah, a year right and then there are certain moments where I'm just like driving and then I start like singing or coming up with words and then it just kind of like click 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 and I'm like whoa that happened really fast like okay now I have like two verses in already and I'm like why did that happen so fast and it's usually yeah, like, like something was already churning in, like, mm-hmm. a melting pot you know yeah, definitely. The pins just lined up right and boom. Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing. But it's also, it's sometimes it just sort of, I find like, sometimes I think it's it comes the way that you're talking about. Other times it's as a result of something that's almost sort of mechanical. Like you sit down with a guitar and mm. you're not necessarily thinking about, it's not like it just sort of arrives as like some divine inspiration that just arrives in your head and then you sing it and there it is you'll just be kind of like messing around with something not really thinking about what you're doing and then you know just you know as a you're a guitar player too so you, your hands well for any instrument but your hands just fall into these patterns that mm. you practice and so you just you could be like tuning you could be watching tv and just sort of messing around or whatever and then your hand just does something and you're like oh that's kind of cool and yeah, do it's it usually again. something and it doesn't that's, that's usually do cool. right? exactly yeah. um so it's not like it, it's nothing that, uh, it didn't come from anywhere else. It was just like a sound that sort of happened accidentally. And then you're something in your mind goes, oh, all right. I think maybe I'll keep that one. Right. And then build off of that. Yeah. It blossoms out of it. Yeah. Seed, yeah. It is usually the, the start of like something, not usually, but sometimes it's like a mistake or mm-hmm. something being stuff placed. stuff wrong is usually yeah. the best stuff. <laughs> Obviously, that's such a, such a trite thing to say, but... The mistakes no, are the things character. that are beautiful. Uh, <laughs> well, they take you down a path of like, huh, where else can this go? Oh, yeah. Huh, I wasn't expecting that. It's like, when, it's really rare that as a musician that's really, or generally proficient on an instrument that you can still surprise yourself. Right? So you can like stumble on two chords that you're like, oh, I've never put these two chords in a row together before. That's, maybe that's why it sounds so unique. That's cool. And like you can yeah. like riff off them. Mm. Yeah, I spend a lot of time looking for weird chords. Mm-hmm. Actually, not not weird chords for this songwriting project. In concert music, that's different because anything kind of goes in that world. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just I like to look for not not that anything that I've written is so out there harmonically, but I like to try and try and sort of push the envelope from for myself, not necessarily like in the grand scheme of music and creativity and whatever. But uh, I just, I don't know. I don't want to write, like, boring four, four chord songs. Although there are there are a couple that only have four chords. But. <laughs> if you were on trial in the future, you just wanted to put it out there. There are a few that only use four chords, okay? Just, just all right. I think there's... No, actually, I don't think there are. I think they all have more than four chords. It's fine, even if you had three chords. <laughs> you could still write a beautiful song with three chords. No, they all they all have more than that. All right, I don't have any four. I'm on the record. Okay. I'm gonna swear on the on the on my 
BMI, whatever this is. Uh, on your royalties check. <laughs> on my royalties check. <laughs> <laughs> that's, as good, that's as good as a holy book there for we go. most songwriters. For musicians, yeah. There, there are no songs with four chords on my record. Okay. I w- but there I, is an interlude that only has a couple. <laughs> All right, so I can't, I'm, I'm, I've just perjured myself. Fair there. enough, fair enough. You're, okay. you're back in the good graces of the art <laughs> pop gods. So this, this new song that's coming out, when is this one? The Philosopher, is it? Yes. Uh, is there a release it's date? It's a week set? from today. A week from today. F- uh, February 28th. February 28th. So should we listen to it? I'd love to know more about it. Sure. Um, I have to turn my computer on to do Great. that. We'll do that. Sure. So let's listen to The Philosopher on the new Dylanila project.
love that killer groove at the end. Thank you. That's that's actually mostly me on profit. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean there are, there's other stuff going on as well. So the like the main weird uh, pitch bend kind of thing, pitch mm-hmm. wheel thing. That's me. The stuff that like the little lead bits on top is Nick Samrad, and then the guitar is Adam Agati at the end. But yeah, the, the most of that like big demonic sound is <laughs> is a prophet, and then I think some soft synths as well. But the the backbone of it is is a really ugly keyboard part that I came up with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for people who are unfamiliar, prophet is a synth. A synth, yeah. A really awesome synth. So how did this one come about? Cause that synth, yeah, actually, that's right it. there. Yeah. There it is. What a beauty. It's it's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those where you just sit at it just for hours, just turning oh, yeah. knobs, mm-hmm. seeing what happens. It's like a there goes your social life kind of synth. <laughs> so awesome song. Really Thank solid. You. As I was listening to it, I just noticed like these two contrasting elements where the... Uh, the darkness at the end with that solid groove kind of peaks in somewhere in the middle and kind of like you get like a little glimmer of it and then it goes back to um, more of like the traditional song and then it takes over by the end so I'm wondering if that was something that you had uh, the intention of when you were first writing it or that is this one of these things that kind of evolve as the song is evolving and it gets added to it um, this was yeah. This was actually one that this was one of the songs that w- was lost for a long time. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, the basically all I had was uh, you know intro transitional bits and then verse chorus, and then I I just really didn't know what to do with it because like I wrote like a hundred bridges for it and was trying to I mean not hundred but like I wrote a lot of bridges for it because I was mm. I was trying to get it to be a very conventional song song mm-hmm. um and then just nothing nothing really was working and uh and i was working on it in london with my friend pierce mcintyre who's an amazing programmer um and producer and does all, he's just one of those like freaky talented people um and we were messing around with it and then somehow ended up going down this strange ap- apocalyptic <laughs> rabbit hole and we were like can we do this I don't know. Can we do it? And then, and then we did. Oh, you and, did. <laughs> yeah, and it's become my favorite. It's one of my favorites on the project. That's really cool. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, this, it's the one I'm most excited to do live. I think. Yeah, it, it actually sound. has a very live sound. Yeah. Well, the whole the whole project huh. does by design. Mm. You know, it's going back to my rock background. I guess I, I want to, like, I, I didn't want to make a record that you'd want to go that you'd go and watch some dude with a laptop at the back of the stage I wanted to make something that had a, like a, a band flavor to it it's not yeah. a band record necessarily but yeah. it has that that feel yeah when you're writing a song like that do you imagine what it would be like to perform it? yeah you do? Mm-hmm. Mm. yeah the whole project was um, everything kind of had to pass the smell test in a couple of ways mm. one was that it needs to sound like something that's going to work live but mm. like that that would work within a band context because that's mm. really what I want the live show to feel like a band um, I mean it will be a band not just feel like a band it will sure. actually be a band <laughs> with humans with instruments um, so it was that and it also has to s- <laughs> it needs to um, work as an imaginary soundtrack to a movie trailer huh. so those were the two criteria that guided a sense yeah. of some of the aesthetic yeah. decisions. Basically, I felt like right. if I could check those boxes with everything. So I spent a lot of time mm. uh, 
testing this stuff by throwing it up against like the Dark Knight trailer mm, or something. Sure, sure, sure. I don't, I don't really know why, but I just that was what I wanted to make. No, I hear you. Well, yeah, it gives it a context, right? Yeah, I want to make big things that are loud. So. <laughs> well, big things that are loud work well with live settings. Yeah. Too. So there's that. So in terms of the life cycle, let's say of a song like mm -hmm. this, you said you had the the. the little germ cells of it mm -hmm. a while ago before evolving it into something so let's say yep. like when you was a guitar part was oh, so a guitar part when it started yep oh really that was oh. it for years it was just a that was that was it mm. um so it was a guitar part and a and a rough lyric that changed about a lot later yeah it was just a thing i played on guitar and i played it with like so many people and it just no one ever it just never went anywhere and it yeah. was only when we sat down to actually produce the thing and we started kind of working on the production for it with the hope that by the time we ran out of song we would know what to do okay <laughs> <laughs> so that happened and so then we came up with the ending and then that got sort of repurposed to be earlier in the song as well so it actually it used to be in there i think it's only in there it used to be in there twice before the outro but then we cut it we just felt david and i david and i felt it was too long and so we just cut we cut one of them, so it's hinted at once before it like, goes mm -hmm. to town. Do you have a lot of these uh, ideas just floating around that are looking for a home? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have more ideas that are floating around looking for a home than ideas that have found a home. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. Know, I know the feeling. <laughs> uh, my, the voice memo feature on my oh, yeah. phone it's is like it's way like, into the tens of thousands at this uh, point. Oh, yeah, 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 it's not good. No. I've, I've started organizing it by after I record an idea. And it passes like a little quality test like okay this is an idea i probably will want to come back to i have to put like an extra little symbol next to it or after it that i know then i can search by just typing that symbol and then the ones with the symbol will come up the ones that are especially good ideas so there's like the general ideas and then there's the especially good ideas that i can search by like putting in the symbol um, because yeah, otherwise there's just no way to get through all of it no no mine is if they have a name mm. in my phone then I probably thought it was something. At if some you point. named it, yeah. Okay. Otherwise, it's just Otherwise a voice memo. Five hundred thirty. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Which at that point, it's like, why even record them, right? Yeah, but sometimes <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you find you find good things if you go through the. You know, the right. Yeah, if you're just curious and you have a little yeah. dry spell, and you're like, oh, let's see, what are these? What's this about? Yeah, but usually I remember the ones that I want to go back mm. to. So, it's yeah. rare that I excavate something from my the depths of my voice memos that I didn't already know was good, but like it's not it's it's rare that I go and listen to, you know, Untitled seven hundred and thirty seven and I'm like, wow, this is <laughs> this is a hit. <laughs> but who knows? Mm -hmm. Sometimes sometimes you just don't know what to make of things. So it takes a minute to figure out how to realize the song the way that you want to. Yeah, or or there's the the moments of happy coincidence when something happens to be in the same key as another thing you did. And whether they were originally intended for the purpose of being together or not, then they mm -hmm. kind of just work together. And you yeah. Just, you can coerce them to make them sound like a happy relationship between the two of them. Mm. So where does the title of the song come from? Um, so it's, it's sort of written from the perspective of a troll mm. on the internet mm. who's like looking at someone on social media and feeling like, envious of their life or successes and like they're not thinking that like who is this person like they're not deserving of whatever they have in the way that so many angry people on the internet do right 
I don't know, social media has this horrible way of making everyone compare every, compare their lives to other people's lives in a way that I don't think is healthy. But that's a whole a whole other discussion. But so yeah, troll hate watching someone on Instagram who <laughs> he think he or she could be a girl troll. Sure, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, girls um, can be trolls. Yeah, uh, who he or she thinks is not necessarily deserving of their success. Mm. So that's sort of where the song. That's what it. That's what the song is. But it's also like one of my one of my favorite books is Notes from Underground, the Dostoevsky book. Oh no, kidding! Really? Yeah, huh. uh, which is it's sort of a there's I've I've, re, I've reread that book a few times. Huh. Obviously, if it's one of your favorite books, um, and there's something that just seems really seemed really applicable about that story to now. It's a mm. you know a character that's sort of on the fringes and who thinks that he or the fringes of the world like society like we were talking about earlier who thinks that you know the reason that he doesn't have all of the stuff that these people who've drifted in and out of his life have and who these people who seem to be happy or successful or more fulfilled than he is um and the reason that you know he doesn't have it because he's just he's 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 better than them he's Mm -hmm. this this super intelligent sensitive man in search of like the lofty and the beautiful i think that's what it is in the book and um yeah so he's just sort of sitting there in his room removed from the world being judgmental about other people's lives in a way that like obviously that book is old and that kind of character is sort of timeless in a way but i also mm-hmm. think it's particularly applicable now because we so many of these these like fringe voices or f- not fringe voices but these people can voice these frustrations in a way that they couldn't before. Right. And so that's where, that's where all of that came from. Um, and it's, but it's also called the philosophy. It's sort of the, the title's supposed to be ironic because, right. you know, everyone on the internet has an opinion and everyone has something to say about someone else in their lives. Mm. And everyone is a philosopher to them, mm. to, to some extent. So that's, that's where it is. Interesting. Interesting. So, huh. So yeah. it's, um, Inspired by in some ways from notes trolling, from the underground. Trolling Dostoevsky <laughs> and Instagram. <laughs> hey, I want to listen to yeah. that. If someone told me the song was inspired by that. I'm into it. I'm, I, yeah, I'm reading Crime and Punishment, but now I actually have a copy of Notes from the Underground, but I haven't started reading it. Notes now. from Underground is funny. Now I gotta get it. Now yeah, I gotta you, get into you gotta it. 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 Yeah. You gotta read it. Huh. I've started Crime and Punishment a few times and then not yeah i have like three <laughs> copies of it and then i keep getting a little further each time yeah. and then i don't know why i keep edges life yeah whatever it is because it's it's a yeah. compelling work either way for sure you know. for sure i i will i will finish it one day it's it's just it's a i'm have it's a commitment i haven't done it yet <laughs> it's a it's a long-term yeah. commitment i suddenly feel very bad about that but notes <laughs> <laughs> from underground you know, for Dostoevsky, quick, uh, quick and easy read. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's also funny. Yeah. I mean, if you're a dark British person, I guess. <laughs> well, just dark humor in general. Yeah. Sure, I'm, I'm into it. I buy into it. So this song gets released on the 28th, mm-hmm. which will probably be when this episode of this podcast is released. So go check it out. Enjoy it. Listen to it three mm-hmm. times. <laughs> and, and watch the video. The video will be a joint release as well. Um, a little later. TBD. To be determined, but... Yeah. Um, Around the same time, if not the same day. Gotcha. The song will be available and is available on all streaming services. The Philosopher by Delanila. D-E-L-A-N-I-L-A. I did it. I did it. Any name for the album yet? 
It's called Overloaded. Overloaded? Yeah. Cool. So again, I want to thank Danielle. I want to thank you for uh, inviting me to your place here so we can talk about creativity and your new and current project and all your work you've done. And yeah, thanks for letting me pick your brain for a little bit. Oh, thank this you. Stuff. This has been super fun. Anytime. So uh, go check out her, her work. Go check out her stuff. You will enjoy it. Thanks again. Thank you. Until next time. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that unexpectedly intimate conversation. It was really a treat to explore these topics. I really liked Danielle's method for combating creative fatigue. Go to a museum. This sounds like a perfect way to reset your perspective, no matter what medium you're working in. If you don't have a museum near you, a tried and true method that even Beethoven would use to combat his creative fatigue is a walk in the park. The act of walking through some nature also has a, a wonderful effect on your perspective, and it makes you more resilient to the natural stressors of work and life. I'd like to thank my Patreon supporters, MA53N, Jay Booth, Jay Stacks, DVM, and Anyudi Valeria. This show would not be possible without your support. Thank you. If you'd like to support the show as a patron, uh, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash mjdorian, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash m-j-d-o-r-i-a-n, where you will also find some exclusive goodies like creative tip mini episodes. Make sure you follow and listen to Danielle's pop music project, Delanila. It's available on all streaming platforms, including Spotify and even YouTube, and social media hubs under the same name. This has been Creative Codex. I am MJ Doyen. I'll leave you with the signature sounds of Lower Manhattan. Until next time. <laughs>